Good morning. I can welcome you to our service this morning. And if you're visiting with us today for the first time or the first time in a long time, we hope that you feel very warmly welcomed and uh, hope that the service is a blessing to you. And um, if you're interested in us reaching out to you, please take a moment to fill out one of those connection cards. And if you put it in the little back box in the back, um, we'll make sure that we reach out to you and uh, try to meet up with you and uh, just find out how we can be an encouragement to you. Have a couple of announcements, then we'll open up our service. Good morning. Uh, first thing today, uh, the teens are leaving for a Bible quiz, so if you guys would just be thinking about praying for them. They have a good drive following this morning service up to the Pennsylvania area to uh, meet with some churches for quizzing. Um, this upcoming Saturday, I know it's not in the bulletin, but this past weekend we had the men's prayer breakfast and visitation, uh, it was, So, but we are rescheduling the men's prayer breakfast for this upcoming Saturday. So men, if you are interested that we're planning on coming, this upcoming Saturday we'll be having it here at the church. Uh, a little bit nicer weather, I believe. And then uh, nothing coming up too for a little bit, but in March 5th we do have pastors ABBI classes will be restarting. And then in the bulletin boards there's several signups, whether that be for um, Good Friday, you know it's a about a month away, but Good Friday service at Calvary, there's a sign up there as well as VBS. So there's still some stuff coming in the far, but if you guys like to go look at the bulletin board, as well as um, it was notified to me that there were headphones dropped and found in the parking lot that is at the welcome desk. So if those are yours, you might want to swing by the welcome desk and grab those. Pastor Josh. Our opening scripture reading is found in Proverbs chapter 9, starting with verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied. And the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. Our theme of worship for today, let's reflect on our need for a healthy view of God. Please let's bow together for a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless our service. And uh, we'll get started. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather together as a body this morning. And I pray that as we are assembled that our hearts would uh, be softened and the cares of life and the noise around us would be lessened so that we can focus all of our attention on you. And I pray that as the word of God is, is preached this morning, as the scriptures are read as we sing these hymns, as we uh, focus our attention on you, I pray that um, you would uplift us and strengthen us and sharpen our perspective of you. And I pray that we would see how in this text that manifests itself in very practical ways. Father, as we give, I pray that we would give of our resources in a way that is from the heart uh, with a desire to see you take these monies and use them for your honor and glory. I pray that as a church, we would be very wise with how we use these resources. I pray that as uh, some folks are not able to be with us and they're on the live stream, that 
the service would be a blessing to them. I pray that they would be able to set aside the cares of the day and focus their attention on you. And I pray for safety as our young people will be traveling um, to Pennsylvania and back this afternoon. I just pray that um, your hand would be upon all these things. And we look forward to how you work in our lives. And I pray that uh, we would be truly strengthened as a people today because of our time together. In Christ's name, amen. There we go. A little catching my get along there. So good morning, Anchor Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us in person and on live stream. Certainly good to have you all out on this crisp winter morning. So if we start our services out. We're going to start at the very beginning of the hymn book and work our way back, I guess. Page two, please stand with me and join with me as we sing, Come, Christians, join to sing. Sing it out. Make a joyful noise. Come, Christians, join to sing. six. We'll get to the back of the book sooner or later. Page six, I sing the mighty power of God. All three verses.
ahead and please be seated. And we're going to turn back to page 374. Page 374. All four verses of Be Thou My Vision. second reading of the scripture. We're going to be in the book of Luke. Book of Luke. We're in the 12th verse, 12th chapter of this today. We're going to read the first 12 verses. Luke's uh, chapter 12 verses 1 through 12. And the scriptures say, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear, fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. 
Also, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues, and unto magistrates, and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer, or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his words. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Amen. Okay, we're coming to our next song. We're in front of the book. But we're going to do the meet and greet after verse 2. But I do have a confession to make. I, gave, I steered you a little bit wrong on one of the methods of greeting folks. And it was, I, I've been corrected by an expert in ornithology that the proper way to do the gallus gallus domesticus is not necessarily to hit the elbows. Just tuck your arms in and flap. 
okay? That's the chicken wing, if you don't know what Gallus Gallus domesticate is. And I had to look it up too, so I, I, that was a long ways ago for biology and all that uh, genus, family, and kingdom, and stuff like that. Anyway, but after the second verse, we're going to uh, do the meet and greet. I gave you six ways to do it. If you don't remember, see me after the service, and I'll run you back through it, okay? Stand with me, though. We've got to stand up. Page 20. Praise him, praise him.
hard to get you guys to establish a sense of decorum after all that. Who, who gets started in all that? All right, we're going to go to the blue book, page 151, Song for the Month, page 151. It's in here someplace. I run to Christ, please, yes, thank you, and remain standing for this. Last song before the special and the message. We'll go a cappella on the last verse. As Oh, 
stands every part. Man sees the outside, but God sees the Children who are junior church age can be dismissed to the back for your class. And the rest of you, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and let's all turn together to the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning and we have been working our way uh, verse by verse through the book of Luke. And the passage in front of us is a very hard-hitting passage. And so we're going to read the entire text together, bow together, ask the Lord to really take his word and impress it on our hearts And then I'd like us to dig into this text together, which uh, I guess, honestly speaking, if I was really going to pick this apart, we'd probably spend about, I don't know, five or six weeks here. But I want us to just get the big picture of what is being communicated. And I hope that that will be a help to you this morning. Let's bow for prayer after we read the text. It says this, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of the people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, He began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hidden that shall not be known. Therefore, whosoever ye have spoken, whatsoever ye have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear, fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers. Take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Please let's bow together. 
Ask the Lord to take this text of scripture, really open our understanding that we might understand what Jesus is saying here, who he's focusing in on, and really how we're supposed to live in the light of these truths. Let's bow for prayer. Father, as we open this text, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take the word, rightly divided, and impress it on our hearts. Father, as I lay open this text, I pray that the nuance that is in this text, the intent that is being focused on, I pray that that would come out clearly as it is laid before us. I pray the Holy Spirit would take it and use it to divide between soul and spirit. Father, those that need to hear the great warnings, I pray that they would hear them with understanding and the Holy Spirit would bring them to recognize the bearing of this text on their lives. That they would recognize their need to turn to Christ and to embrace him as Savior. And Father, I pray for those who are in our midst, the vast majority, maybe everybody, who has understood what Christ has done for them, placed their faith in his finished work. I pray they would understand that the intent of this text is primarily that of comforting the believer and reminding them of the God that they serve. And I pray that that would come out very clearly as we look at this text. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The passage before us is an interesting text. In fact, it deals with so many different topics. For instance, there is a statement about the blasphemy of the Spirit. And I'm sure lots of people in this room, when you, when you read that little section, you go, ooh, I wonder what pastor's going to say about that one. Well, this text is not the one that expands it the most, but I will very briefly mention something about that. There's also some interesting statements about the things that you speak in these secret places. They're going to be shouted on the housetops and you say, what in the world is going on here? Or he makes a statement like, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before the angels. But if you don't confess me before men, I will deny you before the angels. And you go, what in the world is going on in these verses? Well, we're not going to be able to dig it down to the, the lowest level, but I think that as we work our way, you'll understand what Jesus is doing. And actually, the way that Jesus is speaking here is, is dividing between two groups of people. And his primary focus is actually not on the religious leaders, but it is actually a word of encouragement to the disciples that are there in that congregation. Yet at the same time, and I say congregation, I mean like church body, but they're all gathered together in this massive crowd. At that same time, he is saying some very harsh things about the teaching of the religious leaders. And he's also going to make some statements about what is really foundationally the problem with the religious leaders of their day, and he warns them about it. There's a lot to unpackage here, but I want to first of all give you a summary statement and then kind of build on what we see there. Here is the statement. A misguided view of God is the root of all hypocrisy. And those who desire to escape this dishonest way of life must labor to grow in a healthy view of him. Let me say it again. A misguided view of God is the root of all hypocrisy. And those who desire to escape this dishonest way of life must labor to grow in a healthy view of him. To put it very simply, what God wants us to take from this text this morning is that if we're going to have a healthy life that's shaped by the gospel and it's shaped by the way that God wants us to live our lives, it starts with a right view of him. 
It starts with a healthy view of God, our creator, our Lord, our savior. That's where it all starts. If we don't start with God, then we're going to go off on every single level. He is the standard that begins our understanding of all these things. Even when we read this text in Proverbs chapter 9, he says that the beginning of wisdom is what? A fear of the Lord. It's a knowledge of God that is, that is right, that we understand him as he is. We cannot underestimate the importance of how we think about God and how that view of him shapes everything about the way that we relate to one another. I want to read to you some statements that were made by Some men from church history, some you might know, some you may not know, but the statements are very good. The first statement is this, and it's made by A.W. Tozier, and it was in his book, A Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. It's my belief that our worship is really a reflection of what we view about God. The the way that we believe that we approach God or the basis through which we have the right to come into his presence, it really comes down to our thinking about God. Another statement made by John Owen, this is an interesting one, this is going back hundreds and hundreds of years. He said, ignorance of God and ourselves is the great principle and cause of all our disquietude. And that where disquietude has the idea of uneasiness or anxiety in our hearts. This arises mostly not from want of light, a lack of knowledge and instruction, but from a want or a lack of considering and applying. Pretty interesting statements. Obviously, I could have gone to a lot of other people who have made statements that are similar to this, but I want us to think about how the text in front of us drives at that point that how we view God shapes everything and so Jesus is trying to help the disciples to understand this tremendous contrast between the way the rabbinical traditions view God and those who taught those traditions and those who were true disciples of Christ who understood that they are spiritually bankrupt they understand that it is the death of Christ the resurrection of Christ it's the imputed righteousness of Christ that is the only way that a person can come into the presence of God These two different mindsets are going to be greatly contrasted and Jesus is going to hit at the source of all that contrast. So the first thing I want you to notice this morning is that the teaching of these verses is directed to the disciples. Now, he is not teaching people how to get saved in these verses. He's not teaching people how to stay saved in these verses. He is primarily teaching the disciples. And if you read the text very carefully, even beyond these points I'm going to show you in just a second, you're going to see how the way that he refers in this teaching really draws this contrast between his primary audience, the disciples, and those who were causing them grief and who were going to cause them a lot more grief as time would go on. In verse number one, it says, in the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples first of all. That's an interesting statement. He is focusing on them. He's trying to help them. He's trying to equip them. He's trying to prepare them for some of the things they're going to encounter. 
He says, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, when we see these statements that he makes later on about how the things that are said in the, in the quiet are going to be proclaimed on the housetop and, and, and people's intentions and motives and their true actions are all going to be exposed, he's really telling the disciples that because he, he says, listen, all these people that are giving you grief and all these people that are contrasting what I'm saying, they're in charge and they seem so good, but one day you're going to see the real intention of the heart. You know where it's going to be proclaimed? At the cross. The time when you're really going to see the heart of these men who despise Jesus is when he is taken to the cross and he's nailed on that cross and they mock him and they scorn him and then they're going to come after the disciples next. That is why Jesus is teaching in the way that he is in these verses. Notice what he says in verse number four. He says, I say unto you, my friends... Be not afraid of them that kill the body. So he's trying to encourage the disciples. Or in verse 8 he says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Why does he say that? Well, he wants to encourage them to say, One day you're going to be in a tough place, and there are going to be some people that give you grief, and you're going to want to back down, and you're going to want to compromise, you're going to try to be quiet about it. But if you'll stand strong and say, I believe in Jesus the Messiah... Guess what? I saw that. That's really the intention for why he says it. It's to encourage them. In verses 11 and 12 he says, When they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers. And by the way, when he says the they, he's talking about people like the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian. That's a stunning thing to consider. When they bring you unto the synagogue and unto the magistrates and powers and take ye no thought how or what things ye shall answer or what ye shall say for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what ye ought to say. The intention of these scriptures is primarily a positive to the disciple but in order for them to be strengthened he's also got to address their opponents that are in the room as well or out in the outer air as well you say why does this matter well he's trying to help these people understand he loves them he has a close relationship with them these are his people the disciples he's establishing a contrast between the world and the believer and you'll notice if you read these verses carefully the pronouns that he uses because he refers to them versus you and he makes these statements a lot in other words he's saying there's a group of people this is true about them and then there's you, this is true about you, and it's very different. He actually makes that contrast. You'll see this in just a few moments. And he's focusing on the positive, comforting the believer, sobering those who reject Christ. Second thing I want you to see that Jesus draws out in these verses is that sin is never neutral. And we know that this is true, but it's interesting the way that he puts it. In verse number one, he says, Beware ye of the leaven... Of the Pharisees. Now leaven is something that is basically if you're trying to make bread. The yeast that's going to expand it so that when you put it in the oven you get nice tasting bread. And some, instead of a cracker, okay. That yeast is what he's talking about. Leaven. And by the way, this is an illustration that Jesus used in a lot of different ways. There are times where he said the kingdom of heaven is like, is like a, a loaf of, a, 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 of yeast and leaven. And the idea is that it grows and it expands. But in this situation, it is a negative illustration. 
He's saying that the heart of the Pharisees' doctrine and the heart of their attitude, their disposition, and all of their structure that is so lofty and looks so good, I tell you, it spreads like leaven in a loaf of bread. It's not neutral. It doesn't just sit there. It's almost like cancer that is aggressive. If it's in your body, it doesn't just stay in that one place, but it starts spreading. And as it spreads, it does damage and it can ultimately kill you. And so you have to deal with that cancer before it kills you. He says that's the way that these Pharisees teaching is. It is leaven. And we've got to be so careful that we don't accept it. We don't embrace it. That's what he's saying to them. This is true in a general principle. In fact, we kind of touched on this in our Sunday school class. It's true in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In those verses, what is Paul writing about? He's saying, when you allow sin in the church to be unchecked, and everybody knows it's there, and you just ignore it, you're actually enabling the growth of what's destructive in that body. It's like a person who goes to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you're in great health except for these three things and they're really, really a big problem. So you're really not healthy. But if you actually address these three issues, you'll be fine. Well, how do you do that? Well, here you go. And lays out your regimen, all right? So we could do this. Well, if you decide you're just going to ignore the regimen, guess what? To your own detriment. Very destructive. And so when the church just ignores things that are destructive in the body, it's like leaven, it spreads and it hurts, it destroys. In Hebrews 12, 15, he talks about how this is true on the individual level. He says, look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Now, when he makes the statement, fail of the grace of God, he's not saying you're a Christian and you, you walk away and now you're not saved. That's not what he's talking about. What, what he's basically saying is that when you encounter trouble in life, difficulty, and you're a Christian, you have all the tools available to your disposal to be able to go through that situation and to triumph in it and to grow in the midst of it and to become the kind of Christian God wants you to be. He calls it grace. In other words, he gives you the enabling and the strength to be able to get through those things. It's like earlier on in Hebrews where he says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if you're hurting internally and you're starting to fall into this bitterness, then you need the grace of God to help you to overcome that, to deal with it in a godly manner. And it can happen on either side. And so this issue of sin being leaven and being destructive it's not just a in the church thing it's an in the individual thing as well you can have a church that's really dealing with things in an appropriate way but within the body there are certain individuals they are not dealing with things in a godly way and it's destroying their homes it's destroying their relationships leaven is something that grows but the intention of the text here in front of us is that it is especially true when it comes to false teaching it's especially true when someone is teaching something that's not consistent with the scriptures and it sounds good and it tickles the ears 
And it makes people want to follow it. And it makes them want to embrace it. And all of a sudden they say, I like this teaching. It becomes a popular book. And it's being distributed all over the place. And people are embracing it wholeheartedly. That's what we're talking about. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. They will increase unto more ungodliness, and their words will eat as doth a canker. Say, what is that? The word canker has the idea of something like gangrene. If a person gets an infection in their foot and it's gangrene, guess what? They don't take care of it. Then it's going to kill them. And there's many, many stories. I'm sure everybody in this room probably has interacted with somebody who who maybe they got some kind of an infection in their foot and they had to amputate their foot and it continued to spread and they had to go further and further and further. And they were taking that level of action because they knew that if they could not get rid of that, it would kill the person. Basically what Paul is saying is the reason you have to rightly divide the word of truth and be diligent in your study and in your application of the truth is because false teaching is not neutral. It's destructive. It's like gangrene. It spreads It destroys, it kills. It's highly deceptive. Second Peter chapter 2, he says, There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who will privately bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. So when when Jesus makes this statement, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he's saying this issue is very serious. Third thing I want you to notice is that his chief concern was hypocrisy and the culture that cultivated this sin. I know it's still winter. It's a winter day. It's kind of cold today. But we've had a couple warm days. And you know what goes through my head when we get some warm days in the winter? I'm already thinking about getting my garden ready. Right? It's true. I've already been out there getting trellises ready and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm like laying out in diagrams where I'm going to plant different things and how we can use the most we can with what we have. And when you do things like that, what you're doing is you're thinking about how to take a seed that's going to germinate and how to cultivate it in such a way that it becomes very healthy, very strong, very vibrant. It bears lots and lots of fruit. And so if you're planting something, you're trying to make the soil as healthy as possible. You're trying to water it at the right balance. You're trying to make sure the pH is right. It's getting the right amount of sun. It's not on the ground. Whatever it is, you are cultivating that plant so that it will give you fruit. Do you realize that there are certain contexts that they cultivate certain kinds of fruit? And this is what Jesus is saying. The hypocrisy that you see in the Pharisees is cultivated in the culture that their doctrine develops. Kind of an interesting and sobering thing to consider. He says, beware, verse 1, of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. He's saying, you don't see this now, but it is true. That what is presented to you is not what's really under the surface. 
And what is being presented to you, it can appear to be the real deal for a long time. But there's going to be a day that what's really there is going to be exposed. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. He's talking about the culture that it's in. He's talking about how the people that embraced this wholeheartedly became a part of a system that was extremely destructive and was very, very dangerous. The teaching of the Pharisees created a context that was fertile for hypocrisy. They themselves were very dishonest people. I mean, just think about this. When, when Jesus is, 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 is brought to trial, he was tried in multiple different places in the night, and they were illegal trials. When the Pharisees came, they, they wouldn't enter into a certain court because they didn't want to defile themselves during that time of the year. And you go, hold on a second, you're about to murder a guy who you know is innocent. You're about to lie about him. You're about to do some horrific things. And you're concerned about becoming ceremonially unclean during the Passover? That's exactly right. These people are very dishonest. They're full of hypocrisy. And the nature of their teaching was dishonest. And Jesus has addressed this. And guess what? Their disciples were too. You don't rise above those that teach you in many, many contexts. And so if this is the teaching of the Pharisees, the people that followed them embrace it wholeheartedly and they just continue to manifest this false doctrine and this very unhealthy culture, something that was full of hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is addressing. And this unhealthy culture was built on an unbiblical view of God. They believed they could use him for their own purposes. They had a low view of his omniscience, his knowledge of everything. They had a low view of his justice. They believed that somehow God would accept them even though they were great sinners because they could present this facade of what they thought God would accept. They had a low view of scripture because they were constantly adding to the scripture their traditions that they actually viewed as more important than the scriptures themselves. Truth number four. This drives us to a very simple thing. We've got to have a healthy view of God. And we're going to see the contrast in these verses. And, and it's funny what he, what he emphasizes. So I'm going to read verses 2 to 5, and then we're going to break it down. He says, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hidden that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the closet shall be proclaimed on the housetop. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and afterwards have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him that hath killed and hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say, fear him. Now let's break this down into a couple of facts. The first fact is this. No one will escape God's justice by their own righteousness or traditions. No one will escape God's justice by their own righteousness or traditions zero exceptions no exceptions no exceptions in this room no exceptions 2,000 years ago and if the Lord Jesus doesn't come for another thousand years which I, I don't predict that but you never know all right for the next thousand years of human history there will be no exceptions nobody stands before God in their own righteousness and it's because of what Jesus is going to mention in these verses the first thing he mentions is that no one can hide from God. Verse 2. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Neither hid that shall not be known. <clears throat> you say, why is it that people 
are so good at covering their sin. It's because they're afraid of what people will think about them when they find out. But have they not considered that God sees everything? Yeah, he does. So why is it that some people are afraid of people but not God? It's because they really don't have a right view of God. Very simple. Number two, no one will be able to mock God on the final day. He says in verse three, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now this is a fascinating thing to think about. There are lots and lots of people today, especially with social media available, that they literally make money from, from Google because they have a YouTube channel that all they do is they mock God. <laughs> literally 24-7. They talk about how, how, how foolish the idea is of believing in a God or believing in the God of Scripture. And their entire livelihood is built on the business of mocking God. That's true. Plenty of websites out there like that. Plenty of YouTube channels that are like that. But the question is, what will happen when they draw their last breath? Well, they're going to stand before the God that they mocked their entire life. And when they stand before that God that they have mocked their entire life, guess what? They will drop to their knee and repent. But it'll be too late. They will recognize the God I mocked is real The God that I mocked knows everything I've ever said and done and thought. The God I mocked is holy and righteous and just. And on that day, it will be too late. Thirdly, no one will escape his final justice. In verses 4 to 5, he says, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and afterward have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now Jesus is not saying this to the disciple because they're going to stand before God and be cast into hell. He's trying to emphasize the fact that the disciple needs to be a lot more concerned about God than their fellow man who has an end date on his life who has a day when he's going to enter into eternity and he's going to face all that he has done. Fact number two, his nature should unsettle all who are under his wrath. Now, I stated that kind of carefully, okay? His nature should unsettle all who are under his wrath. If a person has not come face to face with the gospel, with a humbled heart turned and trusted in Christ alone and accepted his sacrifice on their behalf and his righteousness has been imputed to their account and they are trusting in the risen Savior, they're under the wrath of God. And there is nowhere that they can go to hide from that final day where they will stand before that judge. Verse 2, nothing is covered that shall not be revealed. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden that shall not be known. He sees everything. Verse number three, whoever has spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. He hears everything. How many of us, when we are confiding in those that we trust the most, say things that we would never want, 
published uh, in the public records, okay? Maybe we're just lamenting something that we, that we, you know, we heard about politically or something like that, or we're just, we're, we're venting about a situation. And, and the truth is that because of this person who we're very close to, we feel like we can vent, we can say those things. He says, well, God sees those things. God hears those things. There's no escaping what he knows. Verse number five, he addresses everything. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Now what's his point? God deals with everything. No exceptions. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to face God's wrath. Yes, that's true. But that doesn't mean he didn't deal with your sin. He didn't give you the punishment you deserved. Christ took it on himself. Rejecting Christ has eternal consequences. Verse number nine, he that denieth before he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. If you reject the Spirit's witness of Christ, there's no other option. Chapter 12, verse 10, unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Now I want to pause here and say something about this statement. When we talk about the blasphemy of the Spirit, you need to understand that that particular sin was something that was unique to the time that Jesus was living in. You say, well, well why do you say that? Well, I ask this question. Is there anybody in this room who has witnessed in person the Lord Jesus Christ exercising a demon-possessed person? Anybody in here like that? Okay, I, I, can't, I mean, I can't raise my hand for that. All right, well, that's the first thing that's very important. Number two. Is there anybody in this room who obviously didn't witness such a thing that when you saw it, you didn't deny that it happened, but you said, Jesus did it by the power of Satan rather than by the Spirit's enabling? Nobody here said that. Well, that's what he means by the blasphemy of the Spirit. In other words, here is Jesus. He is living amongst these people. He is preaching. He is teaching. He is performing miracles. And as John bears witness to Christ, and then at his baptism, the Spirit descends on him as a dove. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus performs all of these miracles that are demonstrating that he is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. It comes to a head where he takes a man who is possessed by a demon. He tells the demon to depart from him. That the miracle is undeniable and it's supposed to demonstrate Jesus is Messiah. And they say, oh, you did that by the power of Satan. Jesus says, well, is there any other hope for a person who did, who's going to reject such information? And the answer is no. What other witnesses are there to give to this person? The answer is there are none. And so really at the heart of what we call the blasphemy of the spirit is someone who says every time God gives them an opportunity to embrace the truth and every time he gives them witness to demonstrate that that is true, every time they say nope, 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 nope. And one day they said nope for the last time. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a person who rather than embracing the evidence says no. You reject the witness of the Spirit saying this is the truth, believe it, guess what? You don't have other options. What else is going to tell you to do that? This is what Jesus is saying. The whole point of this is to simply say this. If this God knows everything and this God hears everything 
And this God is going to deal with everything. And he's given me all these opportunities. And one day I'm going to stand before him. And he is a just God. Guess what? I better fear him. I better fear him. I better take him seriously. I think it was C.S. Lewis that he said that God is good but terrifying. (laughs) It's a really interesting analogy. It's true. His justice should sober every person in this room. But I want you to notice fact number three. His nature should comfort all who are redeemed in Christ. Now, Jesus makes all of these statements that are very strong. He also makes statements that are very comforting. In the same text of scripture. And you say, why is it that that the same principles that are supposed to terrify the person who's not a Christian are to comfort the one who is? It's all about what you do with Christ. Listen carefully. He has a tender affection for us as his dear friends. In verse number four, he says, I say unto you, my friends. In verses six and seven, he knows every detail of our lives. And he ascribes great value to us. This is amazing how he puts it. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And some of the guys in here are going, it's a lot easier than it used to be. <laughs> that wasn't his point. <laughs> he knows you personally in the closest way possible. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now, in the same verse where he talks about the terror of God's justice, he talks about the closeness of his love and compassion and his knowledge of a person who's afraid that they didn't have value. Now, why is that? We'll get there. He will not forget our willingness to sacrifice for the sake of his name. Verses 8 and 9, he says, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. I can't say I understand this fully, but I think what he's emphasizing here is that there are people throughout church history who they trusted Christ as their Savior and things came to a head because of the persecution and the time that they were living where someone said to them with the authority to take their life, you recant or you burn. I mean, all I got to say is I don't believe in Jesus. That's all you got to say. you got to say I can't say that well then you'll burn in fact before you burn we're gonna let you watch someone else burn so you can think about it a little longer that happened all throughout church history there are accounts of Christians who suffered in such a way and sadly you may not realize this but today there are many many Christian martyrs far more than any point in church history because of how many people live in the world today And how many of the cultures of the world that are the most densely populated are some of the most vicious and antagonistic towards the Christian gospel? And so the encouraging thing for these people is that, listen, when you put your life on the line because you say, I cannot deny the Lord, he's going to remember that. He will be with us and guide us in our most vulnerable moments. Verses 11 and 12 When they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. You know what he's saying? If you ever find yourself in that position, God will give you what you need 
to endure. You say, well, I don't feel right now that I could do that. So what? You're not in that position. <laughs> well, I don't know if I could endure if I was in that position. It's unnecessary for you to even consider this. Just live your Christian life now the way you should. But if you ever find yourself in such a place, he will give you what you need to endure. That's what he's saying. Don't worry. Just do the right thing today. So you're sitting here going, well, how do you apply such a text of scripture? That's a great question we should ask ourselves. Let me give you a couple of implications as we think about everything we have looked at this morning. The first implication is this. How we think about God is no small matter. We cannot know God outside of the scriptures. I didn't say we can't know about God, that we can't come to certain conclusions about him outside of the scripture. The heavens do declare his glory. But you can't know him personally. You can't come into relationship with him apart from what the scriptures reveal about him and how we are reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus. A healthy longing to know God and his will will always drive us into the scriptures. If you want to know God, you're going to get into the Bible. You know why there was so much literacy in the early days of the United States of America? It's because people wanted their kids to know how to read the Bible. It's the truth. Why? Because they want them to know God personally. It always drives us to a high view of scripture. Why is that? Because if that's where God's revealed himself, then I have a high view of that scripture. It always puts us under the authority of the scriptures, not the other way around. It will cause us to question ourselves, not to cause us to question it. And that really was the watershed between the disciple and the rabbis. The rabbis had a low view of scripture. And the disciple had a high view of scripture because they said, this is what it says about the Messiah and we see it for ourselves and we embrace it. Number two, hypocrisy finds its roots in a low view of God. And this low view of God will always accompany a low view of scripture. Is the Bible important? Yeah. Is it the truth, sola scriptura? Well, okay, if that's your view, you have a low view of scripture. And you have a low view of God because you don't want to submit yourself to the authority of Scripture that says, this is how he is. and This is how you meet him. And this is what has brought us into relationship with him. This hypocrisy will always have a greater concern about how others perceive us than how God sees us. Such an important principle to consider. I'm not saying we should absolutely care less of what other people have to say. But what do I put the most weight in? What really matters to me? If it's between doing right and appeasing people, which one am I going to take? Implication three, false teaching provides a fertile environment for hypocrisy. False doctrine is nearly always connected to an idealistic view of human nature. I'm convinced that the prevailing view of human nature in the world today is that humans are all basically good. And if anybody's read history, they should know that's not true. And if anybody's raised children, they should know it's not true. Now that is in no way to diminish the value of people. You won't get a higher view of the value of humanity than the Bible, but you will not get a lower view of the character of humanity than the Bible. This idealistic view of human nature is always coupled with a low view of God. We make God in our own image. 
And this low view of God always leads to a man-centered theology guided by feelings, not principle. Well, I just feel this. Your feelings don't matter. <laughs> what is true is true. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. Well, I don't feel that. It doesn't matter. You're not the judge. You're not the standard. You're here for a little while and then you're gone. He's the creator. He's the righteous one. What he says matters. Last implication, our relationship to God through Christ makes all the difference. If I'm in Adam, I should be terrified of God's inexhaustible knowledge of everything. You know why that is? Because I'm going to stand before him and give account of it all. I should be terrified of his justice. Why? Because his justice is here and I'm guilty. I should be terrified that I'm going to face him one day. It's appointed to man once to die and after this the judgment. And that judgment should sober me. You say, well, what do you do in such a position? Turn to Christ. What's the song we sang? I run to Christ. When we see who we are in Adam, we say, I want Christ. I embrace the gospel. I depend on his work. That is the only way that I can be reconciled to God. And on the other side, if I'm in Christ, I should be comforted by his inexhaustible knowledge of everything. That's the intent of the passage in front of us. I should be overwhelmed by the weight of the cross. When I think of the suffering of Christ on that cross, you know what it tells me? It doesn't just tell me that, wow, those people really hated Jesus. It says God's wrath against sin is quite severe. He looked on the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. And when I think about that, I go, my sin contributed to his death. And I understand the justice of God. And you know what I'm reminded? He took care of it. It's done. When I think about the triumph of the resurrection, I say, I'm alive in him. When I think about the gift of his righteousness, I recognize I have been declared not guilty forever. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And I'm comforted by the guarantee of eternal glory. Do you see the difference between these two? It's all about what you do with Christ. You say it's that simple? It's that simple. <laughs> it's that simple. You say, well, why do so many people reject it? It's called pride. It's called pride. They do not want to face what the Bible has to say about God and themselves. And so I encourage you this morning, if you're in Christ, be comforted by what the text says. And if you're not, run to him and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, as I think about this text, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the word and impress it upon our hearts in the most pertinent way possible. I pray that if there's anyone listening to this, it could be online, in person, someone who comes across this 10 years from now, I have no idea. I pray that the Spirit of God would take the word and work in hearts, drawing them to yourself so that they might understand it is paid in full. They can be saved from their sin, saved from wrath through Christ. And I pray for every believer in this room and on the live stream and those who will come in contact with this service years from now. As we read these verses and as we think about these truths, I pray that they would comfort our souls in the warmest way possible. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please, let's pull out our hymn books.
I'd like us to sing the last three, the only three verses of Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And I, I try to remember to say this. If you heard this message today, or maybe, I don't know, somebody might watch this video like a year from now, and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, trust Him today. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, then reach out. Send me an email. Uh, find a way that we can connect after the service. If you're here, reach out to me and say, I need to talk to you about this. I'd be glad to take a Bible, just show you the gospel in the simplest terms possible. I invite you to place your faith in it. Number 83, let's stand together. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Let's sing this song out from the hearts. if Brother Ralph Pridgen can come close us in prayer. Hope that you'll be able to join us again tonight as we uh, continue our series uh, through the Old Testament. And I know it says Saul and David, but we're still looking at Samuel and Hannah. But uh, the passage we're looking at tonight is going to be very encouraging. And uh, if you're a parent who is still raising children, I really hope that you'll either be here tonight or that you'll watch this on the live stream because there's a lot of practical insight that I think we can pull from the text that we're going to look at. So I hope that you will, and, and, any, and even if you're not still raising your kids, please. <laughs> but I'm really putting a plug for those who are in that, that season there, or about to be in that season, or have been in it, are weary in it, whatever. Um, there's a lot of practical stuff for us to see. So Ralph, please close us in prayer, and good to see you today. Father, we thank you for this time that we can study from your word. Lord, we pray that we would hide your word in our heart. Lord, we pray that we would look at not look at God through the eyes of the world, but look at the world through the eyes of God. We pray that your spirit would guide us in this request, Lord. We pray that you would dismiss us with your blessings, watch over each and every one of us and keep us safe. And we thank you for everything we have in Christ's name. Amen.